Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Murderers come in all shapes and sizes and ages. Didn't matter how young she was how pretty she was, how smart she was. She wanted to kill him. She intended to kill him. Campbell County 911. Ma'am, I have close. I, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. OK, where are you? I'm standing about 10 feet from his dead body. OK. On October 12th of 2012, which was a Friday night, Shani Ubers had called the police and said that she had killed her boyfriend in self-defense. I went immediately to the Highland Heights Police Department. You want something to drink? You want some water? She had already been transported there by the first responders to the scene. Okay, what was his name? The man that I killed? <laughs> Ryan Carter Poston. Ryan Poston in 2012 was a 29-year-old lawyer. He did mostly civil law. He was very successful, um, had a very good practice. Smart, oh, so smart. When he walked into a room, he immediately demanded attention, and he got it. He was a very good-looking guy, and he had a very big heart. And your name is Shana? Shana Huber. Shana, at the time, was a 21-year-old, recently graduated college student from uh, the University of Kentucky with a psychology degree. Very, very bright, smart individual. And, and obviously, she was very pretty, too. They were together for a few months at a time, and then they were apart for some time period. To say that their relationship was on and off would probably be an understatement. It was a roller coaster. He was 
throwing me around the room, like picking me up and like had my face and stuff. I was in an adjoining room with a video monitor, so I was watching this live. Pulled me by the ponytail of my hair. And she talked nonstop. If you go to jail, are you allowed to keep your phone? Hour after hour. I knew he was violent. I knew he was crazy. Two hours and 40-something minutes, I believe. I had my head banged into a few different things tonight. The facts and the evidence did not support her claim of self-defense. Picking me up and throwing me against the bookshelf and calling me a damn hillbilly. My name is Michelle Snodgrass. I am the prosecutor in the case against Shayna Hubers. She was putting on a show. She was dancing. She was laughing. She was snapping her fingers and saying, I did it. I did. Yeah, I did. It was like an evening with Shayna Hubers, like on Broadway. I have never seen someone who was so desperate to tell her story to anyone who would listen. Can I talk to you? Can I have somebody to talk to? I never saw one emotion that would have indicated remorse. He had guns laying on the table. If she was that afraid, she could go out the door. Is your daughter a murderer? Shana Hubers is not a murderer. No, she is not. You don't think something like that is ever going to happen to someone you know. Matt Heron still struggles to make sense of what happened the night of October 12, 2012, when his close friend Ryan Poston was killed. Is there something I could have done that could have prevented that? And I know a lot of people in his life had to have felt the same way. How did things spiral so out of control between Ryan and his girlfriend, Shayna Hubers, that she shot him to death, insisting it was to protect herself? What was lost when your friend was shot and killed? He's the type of person that you want in your life. Not just a friend, but a loving son a protective, adoring older brother. He had three younger sisters that he absolutely adored. Ryan's family was close-knit, even though his parents divorced when he was little. He was extremely close to his father, Jay Poston. And when his mother remarried to Peter Carter, Ryan thought of him as a second father. He had two men who loved him like a son. He wanted to express how big of a role both of those men played in his life. So he had his middle name legally changed to Carter. 
He was very proud of that. What did he want to do, and what did you see him doing in the years ahead? You know, I used to joke that I would run his first political campaign for him for free. Hi, baby. Sarah Robinson, who grew up with Shana in Lexington, Kentucky, says Shana's future seemed promising as well. And how smart was she? I thought she was close to genius, in my opinion. I mean, she always was in AP classes, always getting A's and everything. Shana received countless awards for academic excellence and leadership. She liked to succeed at anything and everything that she did. And that included music and drama. Was she a good actress? She thought she was. Sarah says back in high school, Shana also had a real flair for the dramatic when it came to boys. If a guy, like, broke up with her or something, or if a guy just said they weren't interested in her, she would take it pretty hard, crying and maybe a little screaming. She didn't really like to let things go. It was a sight of Shana Ryan would come to know all too well. Shana went to school in Lexington, more than 80 miles away from Ryan's condo in Highland Heights. The two probably never would have met if it weren't for Facebook. He spotted provocative photos of her and they started dating in the spring of 2011. He was 28 and a lawyer. She was 19 and a college student. And was she happy? Um, yeah, she seemed to be happy. I mean, she never said that there was anything wrong in the relationship. She was just always there. But according to Ryan's friend, Allie Wagner, there was plenty wrong right from the start. How did Shana react when she first met you? She was so cold. You could just immediately tell that she was just obsessed with him. I think she had a goal in the beginning to make him settle down with her. And when she wasn't becoming successful, that became a problem. He was very busy with work. He wasn't really looking for anyone. He had tried to end things uh, a few times. But Ryan was having a tough time getting Shayna to let go. Shayna admitted in a text to a friend, he says he's only with me because I make him feel so awful about it when I cry. He didn't want to hurt her feelings. Unfortunately, she just refused to take no for an answer. And so the two were on again, off again for 18 months. She would come by his place when she was in town. To show up unannounced. Absolutely. As Shana became more possessive, Ryan's exasperation and concern grew. In a text to his cousin, he wrote, this is getting to be restraining order level crazy. She's shown up at my condo like three times and refuses to leave each time. He also complained about Shana's obsessive behavior in a Facebook message to Allie. Literally, probably the craziest person I have ever met. She almost scares me. I wish I had said, if she scares you or if she's crazy, just walk away. Instead, he kept taking her back. I think it was playing mind games with her. Ryan's neighbor, Nikki Carnes, claims there's another side to this turbulent relationship. Shayna complained to her that Ryan was emotionally abusive. She would always tell me that he would say she needed a boob job or a facelift and um, that she was fat, she needed to lose some weight. Why wouldn't she have left? 
I guess because she was young and she always told me she loved him. She picked up his laundry, she did his laundry, she took his dog out, um, she went and bought him food. She did everything for him. Could there have been a Ryan that you didn't know? No. Someone that had a dark side? No. In the 10 years I knew him, never once raised his voice. He's always been the same. Super nerdy, super sweet. Ryan hoped Shayna had finally gotten the message when he told her he wasn't going to see her that weekend of October 12th, 2012. What he didn't tell her was that he had a date with a world-class beauty. Ohio! Audrey Bolte, Miss Ohio USA 2012, whom he also met on Facebook. But he did tell Allie, a former beauty pageant contestant herself, who knew Audrey. She's very beautiful, very personable, and all that kind of stuff. So Ryan was the perfect match for her. He was really excited to go. Ryan and Miss Ohio were supposed to meet at a bar that Friday night. But Shayna showed up at his condo, and Ryan never made it. <laughs> Someone shooting someone and then waiting 15 minutes to call, that in itself was bizarre. Lieutenant Dave Fornash and his partner were the first to arrive on the scene. I want you to go to your front door. I want you to open it up, walk outside the door with your hands in front of you. Okay, I will. We instructed her to get on the ground. As I entered the apartment, I saw Ryan Poston's body on the floor in the dining room behind the dining room table. Police escorted Shana to the station knowing she had shot Ryan to death. And I picked up the gun. But was it to save her life? Or had she entered Ryan's condo with a plan to take his? Even seasoned investigators could never have imagined what would unfold in the hours after Shana Huber's killed Ryan Poston. It was crazy. You just wouldn't believe it. From the moment Lieutenant Dave Fornash brought her into that interrogation room, Shana's behavior was bizarre. Do you smoke? I will. <laughs> As he started to leave, she started making noise as if she was crying or trying to cry or wailing. As soon as he walked out of the room, she stopped immediately. Police Chief Bill Birkenhauer was immediately suspicious. Like a light switch. Exactly. And what are you thinking when you see that? Right off the bat, I'm thinking that she's, you know, pretending. She wasn't crying. No tears came out of her eyes. Because you have the right to remain silent. Shana was then read her rights. And although she asked to see a lawyer, I do want an attorney. Okay, so I can't ask you any questions at all. She found it impossible. I was so out of it. To remain silent. I was like, "If you're not the big black killer, then can you come to the scene?" Shana talked constantly. I was raised really, really Christian, and murder is a sin. It just seemed like she was constantly just babbling. You have very pretty teeth. Did you have orthodontia? 
she talked so much that the officers were wanting to leave the room. If I had to go to jail, can you shower there? Or do you just get really dirty? They were switching off so they wouldn't get burnt out. What are they going to do with me? I don't know. They just want me to come here and sit with you. For almost three hours, Shana told anyone who would listen about an alleged history of abuse by Ryan. He's pulled guns on me as jokes before. Leading up to a fight in which she says she feared for her life. And I shot him in self-defense because he's done stuff before where I've hit my head on a headboard okay. and could have died. But the more she talked, the more her words would come back to haunt her. This story never stayed the same. Beginning with exactly how Ryan's gun ended up in her hands. And he was screaming at me, telling me I was held that he hates me. By all accounts, Ryan, who owned several guns and was licensed to carry, had a habit of placing his handgun on the dining room table after coming home from work. And I just picked up the gun, and in the middle of him, doing something with his arm or saying something crazy, shot him. This time, she told police that she picked up the gun off the table while Ryan was yelling at her. But remember, Shana had told the 911 operator a different story about wrestling the gun away from him. And he reached down and grabbed the gun, and I grabbed it out of his hand and pulled the trigger. But Shana didn't stop at one bullet. As she described the final moments of Ryan's life, the details were beyond disturbing. And he was laying with his face on the table, like twitching. And so I knew he was going to die. I walked around the table. <laughs> And I think that's when I shot him in the head. I shot him probably six times. Shot him in the head. He fell onto the ground. He was like laying like this. His glasses were still on. He was twitching some more. I shot him a couple more times just to make sure he was dead because I didn't want to watch him die. She didn't say that she was worried about him suffering. She said that she couldn't stand to see that. That's why she finished him off. If someone's wounded on the ground, someone that you love, wouldn't you attempt to resuscitate, to save, rather than shoot him? Or call 911. Instead, Shana admitted she waited at least 10 minutes to call for help. If we were to pause right now for 10 minutes, it would be interminable to this audience how long a period of time that is. And she's not calling 911. Why do you believe that's the case? If he was to live, then he would have a story to tell. He was helpless. Prosecutor Michelle Snodgrass. He lay there helpless, and she walked over and shot him again and again and again. That's not self-defense. I knew he was going to die or have a completely deformed face. He's very vain and wants to get a nose job. Just that kind of person. And I shot him right here. I gave him his nose job. He wanted. My jaw hit the floor, and I said to myself, did she really say that? And Shana had plenty more to say. I did. Yes, I did. Even when Shana wasn't speaking, 
Her actions spoke volumes to the investigators who were watching from the other room. Not only did she dance and twirl, she even sang Amazing Grace. How do you respond to what we're looking at here is a woman in shock. Someone who is in shock does not pirouette. Within hours of putting six bullets into Ryan Poston and watching him die, she danced and sang. Here's what's gonna happen right now, Shana. Okay, okay. with everything that we have, um, we're gonna, uh, I'm, gonna char I'm gonna have to charge you with murder. Shana Hubers was arrested for murder. What degree? Murder, there's no degree. Ryan had been shot six times. Pretty much every side of his body he'd been shot at. Doesn't that fit someone who fears for her life at that moment, that she's being attacked, that she has to use excessive force to put down the threat? It, it, it more likely indicates somebody who's very angry. The investigation was far from over. Shana claims Ryan had a dangerous temper, and she can prove it. Listen to more of Shayna Huber's 911 call on Facebook at 48 Hours. The chessboard today is how it was on the day Ryan died mid-game with the pieces unchanged from where it was then. Ryan Poston's friend, mentor, and chess rival, attorney Ken Hawley, relish those competitive matches that would sometimes stretch out over days. And I haven't been able to let it go, really. But now, that chessboard sits in his office, frozen in place, a metaphor for a life cut short. When somebody is erased at an early age like that, um, you know, what has the world lost by not having the benefit of what they would have come to be? Ken and his legal assistant, Lori Zimmerman, had offices in the same building as Ryan. They witnessed Shana's obsessive behavior and the toll it took on him. If she couldn't get him on his cell phone, she'd call the receptionist and ask for him, or she'd show up here. Um, I mean, it was relentless. She would text him 50 to 100 times a day. She would just wear him down and exhaust him to the point where he would say, okay, Shana. And he just kept doing the easy thing, which was staying with her. When Ryan left work for the last time, the evening of October 12, 2012, he told Lori about his big date. And he said, with a big smile on his face, I have a date with Miss Ohio tonight. Ohio! His news gave Lori an uneasy feeling about Shana. And I said, I, I'm very nervous about what you're doing tonight because I, who knows what Shana will do. You need to get her gone. I need you to call the police. I need you to call the locksmith. I need you to make it very final. And, and that was when he said, hey, Lori, I've got this. Don't you worry about me. Hours later, Ryan was dead. I knew she was a stalker. I thought that she was perfectly capable of causing a scene, but murder. What do you think happened the night he died? 
I think that she went over there, tried to talk him out of breaking up with her. Ryan's friend, Allie Wagner. And I think he just stood his ground for the first time. I think he just said, no, like this isn't working. I think she picked up the gun and shot him. In her mind, this was a failure of sorts. And Shayna didn't fail. Shayna Hubers is someone who is used to getting her way. The movie Fatal Attraction comes to mind. You won't answer my calls, you change your number. I mean, I'm not gonna be ignored, Dan. He was trying to break up with her, and I think that Shayna was not gonna be broken up with. Chief Birkenhauer says the proof is in an astonishing trove of texts and emails investigators discovered in numbers unlike anything they'd ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of messages. Hundreds of thousands? Yes, and most of the messages were from Shana. For every one message Ryan sent, she probably sent 50. She couldn't stop herself. Here it was, a look inside this tortured relationship. Back in February of 2012, eight months before Ryan's death, he wrote Shayna, you can tell people you broke up with me. Part of her reply, I love you dearly, far more than you deserve. Then in March, Ryan pleaded, Shayna, stop texting me. And in April, he texted, I no longer have the patience to deal with you. Now, Ryan's a bright guy. He's a lawyer. Why didn't he get a restraining order? Well, under the law in Kentucky, he didn't qualify for a restraining order. The law in Kentucky basically requires the two to have been living together or to have been married. Instead, Ryan tried to take matters into his own hands. Another text in April, this time from Ryan to his cousin, she came to my place on Sunday morning, and I literally had to pick her up and throw her into the hall. Still, Ryan just couldn't close the door on their relationship. The two were back together that summer, but things soured again in late August. And Ryan texts Shayna, I'm turning off the phone and padlocking the door, and then she keeps texting. There are at least 100 messages until finally at some nine hours later, under this barrage, Ryan says, I'm not reading any of these, stop. What does that tell you about Shana's behavior? Well, this goes back to she's obsessed with Ryan Poston. Shana once again showed up at his door. She had her own key. Ryan had to leave his own condo and leave Shane in there and go spend the night with his father because she would not leave and she continued arguing with him. While the prosecution insists Ryan was the one being stalked and living in fear, Shayna told police that at times she was also afraid of him. He's loaded guns in the house, has picked up a gun, pointed it at my face as a joke. What would you do if I... Uh, a lot of information is going to come out about this relationship and about what happened that night. Defense attorney John Paul Ryan. This was not a case of anything but self-defense. This was a case where Shayna was acting to save her own uh, dignity and her own safety. 
The defense team claims there are plenty of Facebook messages Ryan sent his friends that show he was a young man consumed by anger. He'd had a falling out with his ex-law partner who was suing him. August 16th, 2012, less than two months before he was shot and killed, he says, and I want to rig explosives to everything I see. Well, I don't think anybody's denying that Ryan wasn't going through an emotional time. He was upset about being sued by his former law partner. His rage was never in any of these messages directed at Shana Hubers. Not one. October 4th, 2012, Ryan writes this. There's nothing I want more than to just scorch the effing earth and leave this entire city in a pile of burnt rubble He's fantasizing about doing a violent act, and just days later, according to Shana, he attacks her. But that wasn't a violent act directed to any person. And you have to put it in context. He does not say he wants to hurt a person. Pressure's building up. He's got a girlfriend that won't let go. He finally snaps. Why shouldn't we believe that? There's no evidence at the crime scene to indicate that Ryan Poston went after Shana Hubers. Nothing was knocked over. No signs of a struggle. None. Are you buying this notion of self-defense at all? Not one bit. Not one bit. These photos of Shana taken after her arrest show some light bruising. But police still insist there's no evidence of a life or death struggle. Now, the young woman suspected of cold-blooded murder heads to court to ask a judge to let her out of jail. This case was always, to me, about a senseless act. Senseless. Could never quite make sense of what happened on October 12th. I could never make sense of why Ryan Poston's life was ended. Why couldn't Shana Hubers, a brilliant and beautiful grad student, simply walk away from her troubled relationship with Ryan Poston? I think it's really sad. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking. Shana's childhood friend, Sarah Robinson, barely recognizes the sweet, kind-hearted girl she once knew. I saw her mugshot. That was, I think, the first thing that I saw that really made me take a step back and just be like, oh my god. What did it look like? It looked like someone was, who was angry and like someone who had just been through hell. It is June 10th. 2014, almost two years since Ryan's death. Shana has remained in jail the entire time. She has hired a new defense team, led by David Mejia. At a bail hearing, they are joined by Shana's mother, Sharon Hubers. Uh, Shana was in the gifted and talented program. In the Sharon, a retired school teacher, is proud of her child's academic success. She graduated cum laude in three years at the University of Kentucky. Shana was pursuing a master's degree in school guidance counseling at the time of this tragedy. And what do you want people to know after reading that? What do you want them to know in relation to this case? Shana Hubers is not a child, a girl, a person 
that would murder someone, that would wake up and say, okay, I'm going to shoot somebody, and I want the world to know who Shana is, and I want them to hear it from her mother. Through Sharon's testimony, we also learn about the 24 hours leading up to Ryan's death. Thursday, October 11th, 2012, the night before Ryan died. Welcome to the first and only vice presidential debate. The vice presidential candidates were slugging it out in a televised debate. Ryan brought Shana over to his mother and stepfather's place to watch it. And then she slept over at his condo. He wants to break up with her. Talk about mixed signals. Why is she staying the night at his place? That is a question that I think a lot of people want an answer to. I don't know if it was part of Ryan's attempt to let her down easy. I, I just don't know. Ryan had already said he didn't want to see her that weekend. Perhaps that's why a distraught Shayna called her mother from Ryan's shortly after 3 a.m. Was she emotional, upset? Yes, she, she wanted mama, and yes, she was. I knew something was wrong. Sharon says she met up with her daughter at Ryan's place around 5.30 that morning. When he woke up, he saw that Shana Huber's mom was inside his condo. Shana's mom was inside his condo? Absolutely. Had come in on her own? In the middle of the night, had driven from Lexington to sit with her daughter. She wanted to lay on the couch and put her feet in my lap, and she did. Shana's relationship with her mother, what was that like? I think she was very close to her mom. I think her mom, for a good portion of her life, could have very well been her best friend. That child has been a blessing to me. She's my whole life. Sharon Hubers would like her daughter to be released to her custody. But prosecutor Michelle Snodgrass believes Shana is a flight risk because of what she told police. Part of me wanted to get my keys and get in my car and leave because I knew my word against his and he's dead. You know, how is anyone else to know that it's self-defense? To get bail, Shana needs to convince the judge that she's not a flight risk, and despite shooting Ryan, not a threat to society. On the stand, she paints a picture of herself as a model girlfriend. Ryan was going through a lot and he needed moral support and I was always good to him. But she also suggests she had a reason to fear him, claiming Ryan was obsessed with guns. Wherever you were in the house, you were always at an arm's length from a gun or a weapon of some sort. And that concerned you? Oh, yes. You know, just laying everywhere, he'd pick one up and shoot a book on a shelf or something. And did that with Shana in the condo on numerous occasions. Is it true that Ryan on at least one occasion did target practice inside his own condo? We don't know if he did target practice inside his own condo. We do know that there was a book that had, you know, wood on it and, and some holes. Bullet holes? Yes. He was always very careful uh, in his handling of firearms. Ryan's friend, Matt Heron, insists he was a responsible gun owner. Uh, it was never something that I worried about. But Shayna insists she was worried enough to shoot Ryan in self-defense. 
and she thought that when she explained it to police that night, they would release her. I believed in my innocence and I wanted to see my mother and go home. Now, the witness stand is about to turn into the hot seat. He told you he needed to not be around you. Didn't he say that? Ryan Poston's volatile relationship with Shayna Hubers had become a house of mirrors. Nothing was as it appeared. His friend Lori Zimmerman says that while the couple appeared to have reconciled in the weeks before his death, their romance was rocky. He wasn't happy about dating Shayna Hubers again. From the very start, he was working to not date Shayna Hubers anymore. Ryan's neighbor, Nikki Carnes, says from what she witnessed in the months leading up to Ryan's death, the relationship was toxic. I was awoken out of my sleep by some screaming and yelling outside, and they were arguing. This is something that was like, happened quite often. Was this a nasty argument? Yeah. Everyone has a breaking point. Had Ryan reached his? I think Shana reached hers. Prosecutor Michelle Snodgrass believes rejection and rage sent Shayna over the edge. Snodgrass confronts her about Ryan's repeated attempts to break up with her. Did he invite you over? Which night? Well, let's say the night you put six bullets in him. How about that night? Did he invite you over that night? They'd broken up time and time again and gotten back together. Why did she get violent this time? That's a good question. I think that she believed it was over for good, and she wasn't going to have that. The fireworks continue at the bail hearing over Shayna's different accounts of how Ryan's gun ended up in her hands. You told 911 that you had to grab the gun out of Mr. Poston's hand. Is that correct? I did say that. But you told the police something different, didn't you? It was a handgun that I used. That gun was this big. I picked it up off the table. I did have to release the suit. I did. I remember it now. I can see it in my mind. This is a Sig Sauer P238 380 caliber semi-automatic handgun. This is the weapon that was used in the shooting of Ryan Poston. She released the safety, pointed the gun at Ryan Poston, and shot him in the right side of the head. Chief Birkenhauer believes Shana's admission that she released the safety on the gun is evidence of premeditation. I believe as soon as she released the safety, she made the decision that she was going to kill him. It is a sign, in my opinion, that she had time to think about it. Show me how she released the safety. The safety, which right there, you, you can't pull the trigger. In order to make this gun operate, you have to release the safety. Now the gun's ready to go, and then you just pull the trigger. It is a, an extra step that you have to think about. The gun itself also contained critical forensic evidence, a trace of Ryan's blood. And what did that tell you? One or more of the shots were so close to the body, when the trigger was pulled, the blood came out and it landed on the gun. Meaning, Chief Birkenhauer believes that Shayna moved closer to Ryan for the final kill shots. 
There was never a time after the first shot that he was on his feet. But Shayna now insists it was Ryan who was moving towards her, despite what she told police after Ryan's death. He was still moving. He was still coming toward me. First two shots we thought were firecrackers, and then there was four more, and then we knew it was gunshots. Ryan's downstairs neighbors, Vernon and Doris West, heard gunshots that night, but no fight. And what was the sequence of the shots? Bang, 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 bang. Did either of you hear any arguing in that condo above you? Did you hear any never. shouting? Never, never, never. Never did, never did, no. sir. If there had been a fight going on up there, a physical struggle between the two of them, Sheena being thrown across the floor, would you have heard it? Yes. I believe I would, yes. yes. The prosecutor insists that even if Shayna initially thought Ryan was a danger to her, she didn't need to keep shooting him. She had the door behind her with no obstructions. Why didn't she just go? The defense maintains that Kentucky's so-called stand your ground law says a person does not have a duty to retreat prior to the use of deadly physical force. But the prosecutor believes Shayna's decision to keep shooting proves a murderous intent. She knew that Ryan Poston had somewhere else that he had to be and someone else that he was meeting. And she wasn't gonna let that happen. In his questioning of Shana, defense attorney David Mejia turns the table on the prosecution, driving home Shana's contention that she had to use deadly force to save herself. Now, what did you believe would happen if he got up after having been shot twice. He would shoot me, he would hurt me. As you well know, Shayna has been portrayed as strangely obsessive, a liar, a murderer. It's been horrible, she grew up in the church. <laughs> She's not a murderer. The word evil has been used to describe your daughter. She's far from evil. Shayna has a heart of gold. She's like her mommy, a loving spirit. That's what I want the world to know. In the end, Judge Fred Stein sets bail at $1.5 million, too much for Shana's parents to afford. Now, as the case heads to trial, how will the defense team overcome the one witness who could destroy any claims of self-defense? That witness, the twirling, singing, loquacious Shayna Hubers. If you go to jail, are you allowed to keep your phone? It's sad when someone pushes you away and pulls you back in and pushes you away and pulls you back in. Shayna Hubers takes center stage. There were times when he had my head going 10 different directions to where I didn't even know if that was my boyfriend or not or what he was to me. Was she obsessed? This is getting to be restraining order level crazy. I'm not kidding. She needs help. Or in fear for her life. He would have killed me. It was scary. I'm scared. Oh my God, that's frightening. I'm scared. The defense claims she was abused. I feel like I was led on. I feel like I was manipulated, used, and abused. But the prosecutor's not buying any of it. Were you with 10 other men during 
doing that during this whole time that we're talking about. 2012, 10 different men. How are you saying, was I with them? Like, are you saying that I, was I right. friends with them? You slept with 10 different men during 2012. I may have slept with 10 guys in 2012, but I don't see how that's relevant to any of this. 48 hours, obsessed, next. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.